on. We set up halfway through this morning and the power went out. And uh, unfortunately the school didn't tell us that they were going to be working on the lines. So we got caught out a bit this morning. But God is good and thank you to everyone who scrambled. Matt had to rush home and get his guitar and we had to rethink what we were going to do. So even the best laid plans don't always go accordingly. But we shall press on regardless. Funny, isn't it? You come to church. I didn't even have any notes because I work off the PowerPoint. I had to rush home and get notes. And Oh, well. Good practice for Fiji for those that are going. If you're visiting with us today, we've been doing a series on the heroes of faith. And we've been looking at, um, so far we haven't looked at any women yet. We'll get there. We've been looking at men of faith, really. And I guess what made them unique or why God chose them. And... If you look through scripture at most of the men and women of faith, there's a similar pattern that happens in their life. Um, Most of them were reluctant. Most of them God called out of a place of weakness or out of a place of inadequacy to use them. And you can look at a lot of the stories like Moses and Gideon, who we're going to look at today, and Jeremiah and Saul and Peter, and a whole heap of people said, Lord, who, me? You You want to use me? But, 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 but I'm this and I'm that. And they made all sorts of excuses. And if you look through scripture, there's quite a pattern of behaviour where all these great women, men and women of faith didn't go, oh, pick me, pick me. They actually did quite the opposite. They went, but Lord, I've got nothing to offer. We're going to look at Gideon today. And Gideon's excuse was that he was from the weakest tribe and he had came from the weakest clan and he came from the weakest family. But when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, Gideon, you mighty man of valour, you. And he went, who, me? Are you talking to me? His, his self-perception of who he was was totally different to God's perception of who he could be. You know, he was wrestling with something that I think we all wrestle with. I think he was wrestling. I think it's a good wrestle. I think that's why it's so repetitious in Scripture is because you wouldn't have wanted Gideon to say, yeah, I can do it, God. Glad you picked me. I'm the best. Because he wouldn't have come from a place of humility. He actually had to wrestle with his lack of power and authority and ability. And in that place, he discovered that God could be his all-sufficiency. And as we see that repeated in Scripture time and time again, I think it's repeated for a reason. Because we've all got to go through that pattern and that wrestle and that process to discover that God can use us despite ourselves. He wants to use us. But sadly, some of us wallow too long in the, ooh, can I? Am I really able? No, you're not. You're not able. None of us are able. That's the whole point. It's in that moment that we discover that God is able. And that's all he really wants us to know. All he really wants us to know. And so today we're going to look at Gideon. And just to give you a bit of background, Gideon was one of the judges that was raised up to rule in Israel. And Israel got themselves into an awful mess. The start of the book of Judges said that Israel did evil in the sight of God and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, it was just a free-for-all. There was no real spiritual order. There was a spiritual spiral that was going down and down and down and down. And what happened was the people would be oppressed 
by the Philistines or the Amalekites or a group of people and then under that burden, under that occupation, the people would cry out and say, God, where are you? We've sinned against you. God, please do something. And so God would raise up a Gideon or he would raise up a Samson or he would raise up a Deborah, raise someone up to defeat the enemy. Israel would come back to God, but then 10, 5 years later, back under occupation again. And there's this cycle that just goes around and around and around and around. And God keeps raising these people up. And the story of Gideon's really right in the middle of the chapters, and it's very much the story. It says this, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Malachites and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. And so the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to give to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, Gideon, you mighty man of valour. Pardon me, my Lord, replied Gideon, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go, Gideon, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have. Pardon me, my Lord, said Gideon, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. And the Lord simply answered him, I will be with you. So go and strike down the Midianites and leave none of them alive. It's a great story, isn't it? You know, even though Gideon felt so inadequate, so, you know, so, what's the word? Little in the scale of what God had called him to do. And in that wrestle with God, and it's a good wrestle. Like God didn't say, stop asking me questions, Gideon. God answered his questions with truth and gave him the answer to his questions. So I think it's good. Sometimes it's okay to say, well, God, if you're calling me to do this, are you going to be with me? Where are you in this? And, and can I do it? I think it's okay to, to know that we have inadequacies and we have weakness, but it's still not an excuse. We've still got to go. And God knows our potential, even if we can't see it. He knows what we can be. He knows the possibilities. He knows that his power made perfect 
in our weakness means there's nothing that we cannot do if we're willing to step out in obedience. I think we've all been in that situation where we've gone, but Lord, I am the weakest. And what's my family got to offer? And who am I that you're calling me? But we know from this that Gideon rose up and he went. And he was obedient to what God called him to do. I think the beautiful thing that God has shown us in this this passage is that you just give what you have. A little is more than enough for God. You know, isn't that the pattern of Scripture? Five loaves, two fishes. A little is more than enough. Gideon, but I'm the weakest. I come from the smallest tribe, the smallest clan. A little is enough for God. Um, Heidi Baker wrote this book um, that if you get a chance to read, it's very challenging about their time on the mission field. And the, the title of the book is There's Always Enough. There's always enough in God. Because if we don't look to ourselves and we look to the resources of heaven, there's always enough. Go in the strength that you have. So if God calls you to lead worship, go in the strength that you have. If God calls you to run a business and do it in a godly way, go in the strength that you have. Because the point is it doesn't matter how much strength you've got, whether you've got a max or a min, because God will be with you. That's his promise, and Gideon could count on that. And God proved that to Gideon, because Gideon grabbed a whole army of men and brought them together and said, we're going to go up against the the Midianites. And God said, sorry Gideon, you've got too many troops. What do you mean I've got too many troops? You can never have too many troops. God said, you've got too many. Take them down to the water and let them drink the water. And the ones who lapped the water up with their hand, take them and fight. It ended up being 300 men. So God showed Gideon the, the, the principle that a little is often more in the hands of God. A little's okay. It's okay to go in little strength because God will prove himself. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before God. That's the point. We've got to come empty-handed. We've got to come broken-hearted because it's all God's glory. Gideon couldn't take any glory for himself because he knew how inadequate he was. He knew how weak he was. And I think it's a wonderful place to start from. It's a great place to start from because you know your roots. You know from you know you know your inadequacies. I tell you what it's like the first time you get up to preach and your knees are shaking and you've had diarrhea all morning and, and you've prepared this beautiful message on paper but you know it's not going to come out the way that you've written it. And it looks lovely on paper but you get there and your mental faculties go out the window and you're shaking so much inside you feel like you're going to vomit every word that you speak but you discover that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what you discover. And isn't that true of everything that we step out to do in God? Like none of us get on the front line and go, hey, I've got it all together. We come fearful, we come timid, we come half broken. And yet God meets us in that place. That's the beauty of Gideon. 
You know, God specialises in weak flesh, inept hands and timid hearts. It really is God's principle. God specialises in weak flesh. He specialises in inept hands and timid hearts. Let me ask you a question. What made the heroes of the Bible great? What actually made them great, men and women of God? Was it their natural ability? Like Moses was a great preacher, wasn't he? <laughs> wasn't his natural ability, was it? Was it his expertise that they learned from good teachers and good mentors and Bible college? Is that what made them good, that they went and learned the skills? No, it wasn't. Was it their training that made them wonderful men and women of God? No, it wasn't. But if you go to a Bible college today or you want to get into leadership or ministry, that's what they'll tell you you need to do. I don't think it's God's model because God takes the foolish things of this world. I don't think it's wrong to train, but you don't get the degree and then God says, well, you've got the degree, now I'll call you. God calls you out of your weakness. God calls you out of that place that you're in and says, I see your potential. I know the plans. I know what you can be in obedience. I know what you can be when you trust me, when you're willing to put your faith in me. It's really beautiful. Obedience does not require sufficiency. There's never a point where you feel adequate. There's never a point where you feel like you've got it all under control. And that's the beauty of following Christ, that we have to be dependent on him. We've got to be linked to him in every way. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know, I believe Gideon wrestled with the three most important questions we need to ask about ourselves in scripture the first thing he asked himself was what significance do I have okay we all wrestle with our significance now the world tells us that our significance is built on certain principles and behavior and material things God says your significance has nothing to do with that and that's why God strips it all away Because he says your significance is that you are in Christ. That's where your significance comes from. That you are in God. That you are linked to him. That he is your all-sufficient one. It's in Christ that we have our true identity. And when we step out of that and try to do it independently, then we're in big trouble. I really struggle with ministries that are like the Joe Bloggs ministry or the Fred Bear ministry or the Humphrey Bear ministry or whatever. Because really it's man-made ministry. It's not. It's God's ministry. Those people are nothing without God. We're nothing without God. But our culture doesn't like us to think like that. Because our culture trains us to be, um, what is it, to be, to be self-confident and self-assured. And, and certain that you can do things. And it's the power of positive thinking. Matt, if you want to be a successful man, just think, think about it, mate. Think about being a successful businessman. Do the right things. You know, the, what's the Dale Carnegie plan of being a great businessman? Just do those 12 things. You'll never go wrong. But that's not God's economy. Your significance is in Christ. And Gideon had to answer that question. Who am I that I could save Israel? 
Who am I that I could lead a church? Who am I that I could father a family? Who am I that I could run a ministry? Who am I? You need to answer that question. And if the resounding voice from your head is not, I'm somebody in Christ, I'm nobody in my flesh. I'm somebody very important in the economy of God. That's not a proud thing. It is not a proud thing to say, in Christ I can do all things because Christ strengthens me. It's in him that we have our significance. And I can tell you from 17 years of ministry, most people beat themselves up with lack of significance. That's where the enemy gets in. Comes around the back and says, yeah, but you're a nobody. How dare you put your head up above the trench and say that you could try something for God? Don't you know who you are? Haven't you seen all your failures? Haven't you seen all the mistakes you've made? That's the way the enemy comes and says you're insignificant. But that's a lie. That is a lie. Because God said that you are somebody. He said that you are my son and my daughter, that you are co-heirs in Christ, that you're seated in the heavenly realms. And that's why we've got the word of God. That's why we've got all these scriptures that remind us of the truth of who we really are. And we've got to stand on that truth and we've got to know that truth. Otherwise you will get knocked down. You are significant. You are somebody. You are somebody really special. We need to have that self-awareness because it perpetuates all the time. When the enemy comes or someone criticises or we get knocked down. Okay, I'm significant. In Christ I can do this. The second thing is, is security. We wrestle with significance and we wrestle with our security. You know, and is God going to abandon me? Is he going to go the journey with me? Is my failure or my guilt or whatever I'm carrying in my life, is that going to separate me from God? In any way. And we worry about that. We worry about stepping out in faith and knowing whether God will provide, whether He'll meet us in the midst of what we're doing. And that's what Gideon asked Lord, where have you been? Where have you been all this time? I've heard about these wonders and these miracles. I haven't seen anything. Where are you? Are you going to be with me in this? And we've got to ask that question and we've got to be sure that God is going to be there in the midst of what we're doing. And the last thing I think we wrestle with more than anything is am I truly accepted by God? Because every one of the men and women of faith that you read about worried about their acceptance. Moses said, I'm a murderer. God, can you accept me? It's a question we've got to answer. We've got to know the answer to it because if we base our faith life and our belief system on the fact that God has accepted me, that God has adopted me, that I am his son and his daughter, then your outlook on what is possible is totally different to someone who's stepping out of, oh, I could be rejected. No, I feel accepted today. Oh, I'm feeling rejected. And you get into this little dance in life where you're not sure. And the enemy will come in on the top of that and he'll crush you. Because he's got something in your life that he can hold you and give you that doubt and that fear that maybe you've done something that God's just very disappointed in and you're separated now. You are accepted by Christ. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. The only condemnation that can happen is the voices in your head that you allow to spin around and tell you that you're condemned. Because you're not condemned. I just bought something on eBay. <laughs> 
Hopefully it was a bargain. Yeah, hopefully it was a bargain. But really, we've got to know that we are accepted. Cheryl and I have been doing a lot of work with people over many, many years doing a thing called Freedom in Christ. And one of the things that we do is help people understand that they are significant, that they are secure, and that they are accepted. Because if you know those three things in your heart, if that is what your belief system is built upon, you can never get yourself too far into trouble. Because you will be saying to yourself, I'm no longer worthless, I'm not inadequate, I'm not helpless, and I'm not hopeless. In Christ, I'm deeply significant and special. You are significant. You will be saying, I'm no longer guilty, unprotected, alone or abandoned. In Christ, I am totally secure. And you'll be saying, I'm no longer rejected, unloved or dirty. In Christ, I am completely accepted. That's wonderful truth. It's biblical truth. And we need to stand on it. We need to be sure about it. We can't wax and wane. We can't vacillate on these principles of truth. Pin this on your toilet. Memorise it. Eat it if you have to. Get it into you somehow to know that this is God's absolute truth for you. It's not arrogant to say I'm significant in Christ. It's arrogant to say I'm significant outside of Christ. But you've got to have a spiritual backbone that knows who you are and stand strong in the Spirit of God and to know who you are in Christ. You've got to be secure. You've got to know that God is on your side and he has plans to prosper you and you need to know that you're accepted. You know the sad part is so many people know that they're accepted by God but then they come into the church and they feel unaccepted because they're different or their lives, their personalities are different and they're not accepted and they're a bit weird and they're a bit wonderful. You are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in God's family. And I'm sorry if something's happened in your past where the church hasn't met your needs or somehow people have failed you. They will always fail you. God is the only one that never will. I'm sorry. Mistakes happen. People get hurt. Leaders will disappoint you. Leaders will overlook you. Stuff will happen. But if you know your significance is in Christ, it doesn't matter if somebody hurts you because the, the foundation of your identity is not how other people treat you. It's the knowledge of what God has said about you. That's the absolute truth. That's the most important thing we need to know. So this morning I'm going to hand you out the sheet. And what I'd like you to do is just take a little minute and say, which one of those do I struggle most with? My insignificance, my lack of security, or my lack of feeling accepted, my, my lack of belonging? And then I want you to pair up with somebody. If you're visiting with us, just find someone that you're comfortable with. Or if you want to just sit by yourself, that's fine. But I really believe it, it's, it, it's a belief system that's not based on feelings. It's a belief system that's based on God's truth. Okay, The Bible says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you can proclaim or declare God's truth despite how you feel. Yeah. It's standing on the promises and the truth of God's word despite the circumstances around you. That's the only way you can have victory. Let me explain the principle. When God called David, to be the next king of Israel. 
And the prophet came and he looked at Jesse's family and all his fine sons. He went, it's got to be this one. No, it's got to be that one. No, it's got to be that one. No, it's got to be that one. Have you got another son somewhere? Yeah, he's the shepherd boy. The insignificant one. The one that we didn't even bother to bring. And God called David and David was the next king of Israel. But what happened with, with, with David's mindset was that the principles God had taught him out in the field, he used as the principles for his life. So when Goliath came along and David said, I'll deal with him, and everyone said, what a, sort of an idiot are you? Who are you to take on a giant? He said, it's simple, the principle's simple. What God's taught me in the fields, when I've tackled bears and I've tackled lions, God's given me the strength and the wherewithal. It's the same principle here. And these are the principles that have to forge and form our identity. And you can stand on that no matter what has happened in your past. Whether you've been beaten, whether you've been raped, whether you've been abused, no matter what, in Christ, that is not truth anymore. The pain is still there and there's still a process to work through the pain. But I can tell you from the people that Cheryl's worked with in Fiji who've been raped, and I mean raped and beaten over years and who come into homes of hope like, like cowering dogs, when they grasp the truth of who God says they are, boy, it changes everything. Their demeanour changes. Like you see these girls with, with no smile on their face and just bow beaten. And yet when the light goes on, when they realise their significance, when they realise that God accepts them even when their families rejected them, when they understand that they're secure, they don't have to worry anymore, that God's got them in the palm of his hands and the lights go on, man, it is unbelievable to see it. We've got to stand on this truth today. So I'm going to hand these around this morning. I want you to just take a, take a moment. Greg, can you do half for me, mate? Does can you do half for me? And what I want you to do, let let hear this really clear. I want you to sit and look at the piece of paper and decide which one it is. I feel like I'm not accepted. I feel like I'm insignificant. I, I'm not secure. And what I want you to do is with the person that you pair up with, tell them which one you feel that you're lacking. And let them pray the verses that are written there under that heading over your life. Does that make sense? Now I'll rob myself in. So let me use an example. So Daryl says to me, Mark, I'm feeling very insignificant. I want whoever's praying with Daryl to go, Daryl, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And speak that truth over their life. Speak it over their life. And then share what you're struggling with with them and let them pray that over you. There is power in the spoken word of God. When we take people through freedom in Christ, at the end of it, what we like them to do is make a public declaration and to take that statement and read it out publicly. I tell you what, the journey from being the person over here, struggling and under the weight of the enemy and identity or wrong, to the person that comes out the other end and goes, I am. It's amazing the power of that declaration, that spoken word. 
Because for years the enemy has come along and, and has beaten people, you know, into submission to their own thoughts and thinking. But the renewing of our mind, the transformation of our faith comes through thinking the right way. Thinking God's way about yourself. I'm not saying get a big head about yourself that you're God's gift to the world. I'm saying you're weak and broken and your flesh is weak. We've all got that. But in Christ, I am significant. In Christ, I am accepted. In Christ, I am secure. That make sense? Okay, just take a moment to think which one you're really struggling with. And then pair up with somebody, men with men, ladies with ladies. I know some people find doing this stuff uncomfortable. I'm sorry, but if we don't appropriate truth, if we don't put things into practice, then we hear the word, but we're not doers of the world. And we need to be a church that equips and empowers people. So find somebody that you're comfortable with, go and find a quiet corner and just spend five minutes together working that through.